Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded in the J. Christian Bay Rare Books Room at the State Historical Society of Missouri's Columbia Research Center and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or at whatever hour you are tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Rost, and I will be your guide as we explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from Our Missouri. With this year's Missouri Conference on History coming up in March, many scholars will soon be going to Kansas City. To help prepare for the conference, the Our Missouri podcast invites listeners to explore the city of fountains from the confluence of two mighty rivers near the downtown skyline to the plaza, the paseo, and the intersection of 18th and Vine. This five-part series entitled Going to Kansas City focuses on several projects and institutions that document and define Kansas City's history and identity. Today, we are speaking with Mark Adams. A history educator with more than 25 years' experience at the high school and university level, Mark presently serves as the education director at the Harry S. Truman Presidential Library and Museum. Prior to joining the Truman Library, he was affiliated with the Kansas Museum of History in Topeka. In addition to his present role as education director, Adams also serves as a coordinator for National History Day programs and workshops at the state and regional level. Welcome to the Our Missouri podcast, Mark. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, Harry S. Truman is remembered in many ways in in the state of Missouri as really Missouri's president. Yet, since the Presidential Library is located in Independence, uh, tell us a little bit about his connection not only to that community, but also to the larger Kansas City area. Yeah, you know, as people probably know, he wasn't actually born in, in independence. He was born in Lamar, Missouri, but as a very young child around around the age of kindergarten, his family moved to independence. And really outside of living in Washington, D.C., he lived in independence for the majority of his life. Um, his mother wanted him to move move the family to independence for the public school system there, and he went through elementary school and high school in Independence, and then he did spend some time in Grandview working on the farm after he graduated from high school. But then after uh, World War One, uh, he moved back to Independence, got married, and lived there until he died in 1972, except for those years as a senator and then in the White House as president. So the majority of his life was was spent in Independence, and then Kansas City not being too far away, he did work in Kansas City both as a banker and then after World War One as a haberdasher. So Kansas City was certainly a close connection to him as well. Okay. Now, in thinking of independence, uh, there have been discussions, you know, where presidential libraries are located recently with Barack Obama between, you know, Hawaii and Chicago. You know, how did the, the Truman Library come to be located, not just simply in independence, you mentioned the kind of connection there of where he lived, but also in its location uh, today? Yeah, and it, and it is, it's interesting. I mean, we, Hawaii wasn't on the table for Harry Truman, but, but Grandview, Missouri certainly was. That's where his family farm was. And and his brother, uh, John Vivian, really pushed for Grandview at some point in the mid-50s. Um, but the city of Independence came forward and, and um, basically donated the land where the library is built now. And so they did look at some plans for, for Grandview and then also Independence and Independence kind of. It wasn't like a bidding process or anything like you might have today, but Independence won out. I think that was 
always going to be Harry Truman's preference, even though his brother was pushing for Grandview itself. Um, and then the library itself opened in the summer of 1957, which if you think about it, he left the presidency, you know, in January of 1953. It was actually a pretty fast turnaround in the summer of 57 to have the library open here in Independence. And it's at the time it was being built on the uh, close to downtown Independence, correct? That's right. Yeah, not too far away, about about six blocks from downtown Independence. Yep. Uh, since that kind of establishment in 1957, uh, certainly uh, the facility has grown to be not just simply a, a library and museum, but it encompasses many different areas, both kind of on-site and online. Could you tell us a little bit about all that there is in the Truman Library and Museum? Absolutely. I mean, it is, it is a little confusing because the word library is, is kind of misleading. Um, we have a public library across the street from us, so some of our local residents get that confused. But we do have a research room for our archi archives, and that's the majority of our collection here. We have an archival collection of about 15 million documents, and then photograph collection and museum collection on top of that. Uh, in addition to the archives and the research room, we have two floors of museum exhibits. Um, so those, you know, are for general visitation for people to use in school groups and things like that. And then there's been a couple of different expansions in the in the 80s and in the 2000s where we've added um, with the White House Decision Center in the early 2000s for um, education programs and classrooms. We have meeting spaces that different groups can can rent out, as well as you know uh, the Decision Center, which is available for high school students. In addition to that, uh, since President Truman died in 1972, we have two grave sites here in our courtyard in the center of the building, um, where we have a Truman's grave site, but also um, Bess Wallace Truman, his wife, was buried here in 1982. And then in 2008, we added um, a grave marker for their daughter, Margaret Truman, and her husband, who were interned here in uh, 2008. So. We have kind of a, a family plot, so to speak, but also a presidential burial site in the center of our courtyard within the building. So quite a lot of different functions, um, both library, museum, classroom spaces, meeting spaces, our decision center, which is a whole separate area in our basement, as well as the great site. Okay. And people can also access a lot of things online, too, not just simply visiting, but also online, right? Right. So since the mid-90s, or 1998 to be specific, we uh, we started our our website in uh, June of 1998, trumanlibrary.org, in cooperation with the University of Missouri-Columbia. And uh, they host our website and have done for about 20 years. And on that site over the years, we've digitized many of our collections. So we have about 50,000 documents online. And... Um, about 50,000 photographs as well, all available, all, all in public domain for, for researchers, for the public, for students to use, along with lesson plans and exhibits and all of the information about the various functions of the library, special events and programs and those kinds of things. The highest part of our, our online visitation is those digital documents that have been, been scanned from our online collections. So those are available globally um, for people to use to look at those documents on various Truman decisions as president, but also some information about his early life, his time as a soldier in World War One, and his family life. So it's 
most of the information about his presidency, but there is also information about his other areas of his life and times available online as well. And they're pretty, they're all searchable, they're all in databases and um, respond to keyword searches and things like that. Particularly, I really enjoy our photograph collection that's online. There's about 50,000 photos that people can scour through and you never know what you're gonna come across in those photos a variety of topics related to Truman. I recently used uh, a lot of the oral histories that are online and making them keyword searchable is fantastic for finding key people and key subjects and things like that too, to kind of look through for, especially students when they're doing projects on his life and his career. Right. And, and all of the, all of our oral histories are online with the documents. We have a long way to go because, you know, we've got 50,000 documents online, but we have 16 million in our collection, but, the oral histories, all of them are online in their entirety. They are keyword searchable and they even have indexes within them. So if there's somebody who's got a particularly long oral history, but you're interested in one particular aspect of their involvement in the Truman administration, you can look at the index for those particular interviews and then find the particular page that you need that might reference you know, your research question that you're trying to ask. So that's a really helpful resource that we have for sure. And those have been online um, for quite some time and are very heavily used by researchers and students, for sure. Now, as the education specialist uh, at the Truman Library, what are some of your main responsibilities? So in kind of the overview of that is, of course, I oversee all of our K-12 education programs. Um, that breaks down into a number of different program areas. I mentioned our White House Decision Center that we have for middle school and high school and also adults, actually. So that's a, that's a, um, a program that we have essentially in our basement, which is, was renovated in around 2000, 2001, where we have um, a replica of the West Wing of the White House. And students come in for four to five hours to do a, a simulation of Truman decision-making activity that they do. Uh, we have a program specifically for third graders in the independent school district. So every third grader in independence, which is about 1,200 students, comes through the museum in a three-hour program that we do with them. Um, in a, and February to April is usually when they come in. And then, of course, we do our regular school tours, and we do actually a lot of um, teacher development, professional development for teachers. So we have a number of classes every uh, summer mostly, but also workshops throughout the year. We do classes for teachers. We have a week-long class that we've done for about 15 years. Um, for teachers in the summer on various themes. And then as you know, you're, you're talking to me from the State of Struggle Society in Columbia, we are the regional host for National History Day. And I know the State of Struggle Society runs the state program. We've been the regional host for National History Day since 1998. So we've been doing that for a long time and have a very strong History Day program. And you mentioned the lesson plan, the uh, online feature, the, the library, the TrumanLibrary.org. We also have a number of lesson plans online. We have more than 400 lesson plans online created by teachers. That's part of our education program, but of course, it's also part of our website development. So we have a variety of programs, both on-site, um, outreach programs in the classroom. And we have a footlocker that we loan out to teachers, a Truman footlocker that talks about his whole life and times that we loan out on two-week loans. So we, and then we also have lots of curriculum devoted to or related to our various exhibits that we have. Um, we have curriculum related to all of those that go out to teachers and students as well. And that's just with two full-time educators. <laughs> <laughs> 
so you mentioned National History Day. Uh, so you, the library has been the regional host, you said, for, for several years now. Um, and when do you usually host those sites, those events? So, uh, so, uh, so our competition is in the first Saturday in March. This year will be March 2nd. Um, so we'll be sending the, the first and second and third place entries from History Day in the Kansas City region to the state finals there at MU uh, in April. So we, we host the first weekend of March is when we have our competition. Last year, we had 500 students. So we have a very large program here in the Kansas City area for History Day. That's, that's quite substantial. Do you, you also do work with the national competition as well, don't you? The last couple of years, I've been very fortunate to go with Maggie Mahan, our state coordinator there at the State Historical Society. I've been able to go the last couple of years. And um, that's been an incredible experience because we've had quite a bit of success with the Kansas City students in the last number of years. So that's been a great um, feather in our cap for have so much success with students in this area. Before we return to our conversation, let's take a step back in time with Bob Pretty to an event from This Week in History in a Missouri Minute. I'm Bob Pretty with this Missouri Minute about Governor Thomas Reynolds, who one day after breakfast left a note to a close friend, William Minor. Reynolds was one of the most popular men in the state, but he felt he'd been slandered and abused by his enemies. Those things and bad health are considered the reasons that a governor of Missouri shot himself to death on February the 9th, 1844. Thomas Reynolds, born in Kentucky, went to Illinois, became the clerk of the Illinois House of Representatives, Attorney General, Speaker of the House, Chief Justice of the Illinois Supreme Court. Then he came to Missouri as a lawyer, Methodist, slave owner, newspaper editor, and Fayette. He believed in state rights, an improved education system, internal improvements, and low public debt, a strong currency, and a secret ballot. His biggest issue was imprisonment for debt. He signed the act ending that practice in Missouri, and later that same year issued the first public proclamation for a day of Thanksgiving. But despite all those successes, Thomas Reynolds killed himself. I'm Bob Pretty for the Center for Missouri Studies. Now, thinking about back to the museum, um, what are some of the current exhibitions, both on-site and online? We mentioned a few of them with some of the oral histories and, and other uh, kind of learning resources that are on display currently uh, that people can access through the Truman Library. Right. So uh, let me talk about what we have physically in the building first, and then I'll, I'll get to online after that. Um, physically in the building, we've got two main permanent exhibits. One is the life and times of Harry Truman. So that looks at his early life and his later life. But really, it's, it, that exhibit deals with everything other than the presidency. So his time as a child, his school, his school years, uh, his relationship with Bess Wallace Truman and their daughter, Margaret, and then his time in World War One, and then his time as a haberdasher and the various jobs that he had, time on the farm, and then as a senator and eventually vice president, and then it touches a little on becoming president, but then we leave that for a separate exhibit uh, upstairs, and we have a whole exhibit that deals just with his presidency. And the theme, really, of that presidential years exhibit is really looking at the decisions Truman made in those seven and a half years from 1945 to 1953 that he was president. And so those are the two um, permanent exhibits that we have in our museum right now. We do have a special exhibit that we've held over. Um, from last year, and I'll explain why about that in a second, but that special exhibit right now is on the World War I uh, years that Truman spent as a soldier in World War I in uh, 1917 and 1918. Um, and the reason that's been held over is that we're, and I know you're going to be asking me about this, but we are facing a museum renovation here soon where we're going to be renovating the museum. 
And so we've kept that open um, for a few more weeks. It was due to close the end of December. We've kept that open as we start our renovation plans. We've got as much of our exhibit open as long as we can before we start our museum renovation. In terms of online exhibits, we actually have many of our previous temporary exhibits. We have digital versions of those online. There's about 10 to 15 of those um, special features online. So exhibits that were in place physically, we have digital versions of those available on our exhibits page on our website. And there are a very wide variety of of exhibits, whether it's civil rights or recognition of Israel, a lot of them focus on anniversaries or particular decisions that Truman made. Um, there's one on George Marshall, there's one on civil rights, there's one on Israel, so there's many more. Um, one about Truman's family called Tracing the Trumans that looks kind of more into Truman's genealogy and, and, and family history. So those are all available on our website, trumanlibrary.org, on our exhibits page. Okay. And you mentioned the renovations there. So tell us and walk us through a little bit about what's coming up in the future for the library museum. Yeah. So the plans right now are for, for us to close in mid-May. Uh, Truman's birthday is May 8th. Um, and so we're going to be open through that period. And then in, in mid-May, our goal is to close the library for about a year, about 11 months, um, to renovate the entire museum, both floors. Um, the idea is to actually um, have the whole Truman life story from birth to death all on one level. As I mentioned previously, or right now, we have his early life and, and time outside of the presidency downstairs, and then his presidency itself upstairs. And the goal of the new exhibit is to tell that entire story on one level in a more or less chronological fashion. Um, the museum has not been renovated and since 2001. So it is time to update the technology and update the exhibits that we have. It's a very exciting project. We're working with a number of different um, companies in terms of exhibit fabrication and design and multimedia upgrades and things like that. As you can imagine, the digital media explosion in the last decade makes some of our existing exhibits look a little um, out of date. And so updating all of that technology and media will be important, as well as reinterpreting the Truman story and getting um, making Truman a little more relevant to our younger visitors. That's a big part of the renovation plans as they speak. Um, we are in the middle of a fundraising campaign to, to, to raise money for this, but we're in really good shape for that at the moment. But we're still continuing to, to raise money in the local community to do this renovation. But the plans right now are to close in May and of this year and then reopen um, April um, 2020 is the plan with um, brand new museum exhibits um, that will showcase more of our museum artifact collection and more of our, Truman, our archive collection so the visitors can see those. And then expand our changing galleries downstairs so we have flexibility to do uh, two different changing galleries downstairs so we always have a, a temporary exhibit. Right now we just have one changing gallery. So when that exhibit comes down, that gallery remains empty. So now we'll have the flexibility to have two of those galleries and one will always be populated. So giving us a little bit more flexibility for temporary exhibits and for programming in those spaces. The, the other main thing about that renovation is we are completely reorienting the building. So we're actually going to be closing our main entrance and um, building out on our east side some additional square footage and making that the new entrance to the museum. 
that's going to be hard to describe over a podcast. But when you come out here in April of 2020, your the traffic flow will be different. Um, the parking lot that people park in is actually closer to where our new exhibit entrance will be. And our gift shop will also shift onto that side as well. Um, so there's some interesting changes in terms of the orientation of the building and making the traffic flow within the museum, the walking flow of the exhibits, um, a little more logical and go from beginning to end in terms of the Truman life story once you're inside the building. Okay, but you all will be open again for Truman's birthday in 2020, right? The plan is to be open for both. <laughs> That's the plan, right? So you're always dealing with you know weather and construction and fundraising and all of those things. But the plan right now is to stay open through his birthday in 1919 and then be reopened um, by his birthday in 2020. Yeah, we don't want to miss a birthday party. So we, <laughs> we're trying to stay open for that if we can. Um, April 2020 is also the 75th anniversary of when Truman became president on April 12th, 1945. So we're hoping that, you know, we can commemorate that anniversary when we reopen in 2020. So there's a reason for that April uh, date that we're looking at. Well, since this will air kind of in the run up to President's Day, uh, is there any, any interesting facts about Harry Truman that you want to share with the listeners that they might not know about him? For President's Day. Well, I'm sure we've got some very knowledgeable listeners, but, you know, there's always trivia around Truman. Um, a couple of things that come to mind. One is that President Truman was the last president not to go to college. He did not have a college degree. And I always kind of find that fascinating. The other is more kind of trivia. There's always a debate about Truman's middle name. It's probably one of the most frequently asked questions we get via email and phone from researchers about the S and whether there should be a period after the S and all of those things. And uh, our answer to that most often is that the S probably stood for two names, two different grandfathers, um, Ship and uh, Solomon, Solomon Young and Andrew and, and Ship Truman. So, you know, one side of the family thought that the S stood for Ship and the other side of the family as two grandfathers stood for Solomon. So they were kind of playing nice to both sides of the family, but really didn't choose one or the other. And the interesting thing is that the Harry S. Truman Library that I'm speaking to you from we include the period after the S. Uh, our neighbors down the street at the National Park Service, the Truman Home, they don't include the period after the S. So that debate rages on about whether there should be a period after the S or not. So the Truman Library does and the, the Truman Home does not. And we, we kind of tease each other down the down Delaware Street here. And we're about four blocks from each other. Um, so that's kind of an interesting one that people can will debate for a long time about whether there should be a period after his name. But just to let people know that the, those two names, the Solomon Young and the and the Ship Truman, are the, the, is what the S really stands for. They just didn't want to mess, you know, uh, upset one side of the family over the other. I guess. Okay, well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That's interesting. <laughs> that's, and I, I didn't know about the period debate either. I had always considered it to be a period after the S. So that's fascinating as well. Yeah. So we get some, sometimes we'll get an irate email or how dare you put that period on the website name or something like that. And we, we have a little explanation that we, we offer for people just to let them know which side of the fence we are on that debate, which is kind of a fun one. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Well, thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. As always, I am your host, Sean Rost. The show's producer is Brian Austin. The opening and concluding credits are narrated by Kevin Walsh. 
If you're interested in more of the people, places, culture, and history around our Missouri, check out the following upcoming events. On February 19th, join Deborah Foster Green, Professor Emerita of History from Lincoln University, at the Memorial Student Union Stotler Lounge on the University of Missouri's campus for a presentation entitled To Educate and Elevate the African American Press in Missouri. This fascinating presentation highlighting several prominent African-American newspaper editors and publishers from the Show Me State is part of the African-American Experience in Missouri Lecture Series and is sponsored by the Missouri Humanities Council, the University of Missouri's Division of Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity, and the State Historical Society of Missouri. If you're in the mood for a little bluegrass music to kick off your summer, Raw is the place to be on May 19th for the Ozark Picking Time. This afternoon, Music and Memories will be held at the Cedar Street Playhouse in Rolla and features Jimmy Allison and Midnight Flight, Jerry Rosa and the Rosa Stringworks Band, and Meredith Sisko and Accomplices. This event is free and open to the public, though registration is appreciated. While you're there, be sure to check in with staff from the State Historical Society of Missouri to learn how the Historical Society is preserving the state's rich musical history. With the State Historical Society of Missouri's Columbia Research Center slated to be closed from spring to midsummer 2019 for the move to the newly constructed Center for Missouri Studies, you only have a few weeks left to view three featured art exhibits. In the corridor gallery, the exhibit Work Artwork consists of art by staff members and volunteers from the Historical Society's six research centers across the state. In the main gallery, visitors will find two exhibits, Benton's Perilous Visions and the Aesthetic of the Monumental Figure. To learn more about these and other exhibitions, please visit shsmo.org art exhibits. National History Day in Missouri is looking for educators, historians, writers, filmmakers, museum staff, and community members to join them at this year's state contest to judge student projects. State contest will be held on April 27, 2019 at the University of Missouri in Columbia. To thank you for your essential participation in National History Day in Missouri 2019, the State Historical Society of Missouri will provide a light breakfast and lunch, plus a travel stipend of up to $50 for judges whose round-trip mileage exceeds 75 miles. National History Day in Missouri is a unique opportunity for middle and high school age students to explore the past in a creative, hands-on way by producing a documentary, exhibit, paper performance, or website on a topic of their choosing. To learn more about National History Day in Missouri, including judge orientation and how to start a program at your own school, please visit shsmo.org nhdmo. On March 2nd, join Joan Stack, Creative Art Collections for the State Historical Society of Missouri, at the Arrow Rock State Historic Site Visitor Center for United We Stand, a public presentation on how George Caleb Bingham's election series paintings showcased his views of America's constitutional democracy in the mid-19th century. The 61st Annual Missouri Conference on History, hosted by University of Missouri-Kansas City and Park University and sponsored by the State Historical Society of Missouri, will be held March 6th through the 8th, 2019 at the Holiday Inn Country Club Plaza in Kansas City. For more information about the Missouri Conference on History, please visit shsmo.org mch. If you are interested in learning more about Missouri's upcoming Bicentennial in 2021, there will be two opportunities in March to hear from Bicentennial Coordinator Michael Sweeney. On March 12th, Michael will be at the Friends Room of the Columbia Public Library. On March 16th, Michael will be joined by Senior Archivist Claire Marks at the Jefferson County Library's Northwest Branch in High Ridge. To register and learn more about these events, please visit the State Historical Society of Missouri's website at shsmo.org events. Thank you for listening to the Our Missouri podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests, and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org slash our-missouri.